Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Yes, I'm a psychiatrist who still does psychotherapy. I study meaningful coincidences like synchronicity and serendipity because many of them are very useful and their possible explanations provide clues about how reality works. You can order my book through any place you get your books. Please consider going to your local bricks and mortar bookstore. The co my coincidence for today is a seriality one, which is a series of events that are objective in the outside world and not dependent on correlations with mental events. The Coincidence Project is intended to increase public awareness and use of meaningful coincidence. Our research arm will start with the search for patterns in the many coincidences we have collected. A common pattern is being in the right place at the right time, and there are many, many others described in my book, Meaningful Coincidences, but we may have missed some. So we plan to use artificial intelligence to find some of these hidden patterns. For example, a visitor to my house in Charlottesville, Virginia, knows someone who works at OpenAI where this project may find a home. Following his visit, I found in the media three other references to OpenAI, one on a medical website, one in a newsletter, and the third as I was waiting to be on a London-based radio show. The guest before me was talking about advances in AI and mentioned open AI. So how are you supposed to interpret these things? Well, I took it as the hints that I'm on the right path with this open AI thing. And uh, I just sent out a couple emails to see what will happen with those. Well, our guest today is the, the none other than a Whitley Streber, who I am so delighted that he will join me on this podcast. Uh, Whitley is the author of Communion and many other books. His most recent are Afterlife Revolution, A New World, and A New World with Jesus, and A New World, and Jesus, A New Vision. His title, his, new, his next title is Them. I kind of remember an old science fiction movie called that. Uh, them. Right. <laughs> you remember that one too? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why my part of the reason I've titled my book Them. Ah, uh, because you tap into um, resonance with uh, already cultural ideas. Well, yeah, and uh, the the whole way that the, the the fears that are evoked in the movie are the fears that we all live with in our attempts to make sense of what I call the visitor phenomenon. Other others call aliens and so forth. But uh, so the there are quotes from the movie scattered throughout the book oh ho, ho. i love intuition i love coming up with stuff like that <laughs> so that's that that connects even further so uh besides them there's us you and me right here so let's let's get into talking a little bit about coincidences and you um how important are coincidences in your life whitley well the important thing in my life is noticing them because they usually have significance and I have, uh, they're easily bypassed. If you're, if you're living a, your life and you, you, you notice a coincidence flying past, it's important often to take notice of that and easy not to I can give you an example if you want to want me to of one that happened day before yesterday i in in them one of the things i'm writing about is what is becoming a an increasingly common phenomenon of people seeing these strange people if they are people on street on the walking down the street and this is something that i've talked about before because the uh uh one of the editors at 
William Morrow and Company, the, uh, the, uh, the company that originally published Communion, in 1988 had an extraordinary experience with this. Uh, he was a, a military intelligence officer who had retired and become a military history editor at the, the publishing company. And they had just published Communion. He had wanted to, they were all looking in bookstores to see if it was moving because it was very important to them. And um, he went into a bookstore in Manhattan, broad daylight, and with his wife and saw two people looking through the book, which was on display in the store. So he walked up to them and they were paging through it very quickly and laughing. And unfortunately for me <laughs> and one of them looked up at him and he realized he was looking into these big black eyes uh -oh. and that it was not a human being and of course he was shocked out of his out of his wits and he told his wife he came went to his wife and said we've got to leave the store and so she <laughs> they left with these two individuals walking down, walking along behind them, still laughing and chatting about the book. Uh, and he watched them go off down the street in their coats and hats. Nobody gave him a second glance. Uh, then I got a re received a call from my editor at William Morrow and Company, Jim Landis, and said, Whitley, we've got good news and bad news. I said, oh God, Jim, tell me the bad news first. And he said, the visitors think your book is ridiculous. And I thought, they don't even believe in the visitors at William Morrow and Company. They're just selling books. They've made that very clear to me. He said, but the good news is we know they're real now. And then he told me the story. Okay. Fast forward to day before yesterday. I walk into a store to buy a birthday present for somebody whose birthday happens to be on December the 19th. And I'm buying it. And the lady, I've never been in the store before. And she wants information, you know, because it's an expensive gift. And, a, and I, she, she'd like to know her customers. So I give her my name and uh, email, email and so forth. And she says, you're Whitley Streber? I said, well, I, I, I was at least until a few minutes ago. <laughs> last, I, last I heard, yeah. And then I say, uh, she says, you know, I, I, I've had something happen to me. Now, I hear this an enormous amount, as you may ma imagine. But what then she said was very surprising. She said, I was in a store, not on her store, but another store. And someone walked past the door and the person with me said, that's not a human being. And I looked out and this very tiny person was walking along and had very long arms all the way down to their knees and a quite big head. And I thought to myself, it doesn't look like a human being to me either. And she went out and stopped the person and said excuse me could you give me the time <laughs> now the creepy thing happened was this individual pulled out a cell phone and the home page on it you know where you have a picture of your grandchildren or your wife or whatever husband had a picture of a human fetus on it it's pretty scary in a way and it this individual held the phone up so that she could see the time on it and then put it back in their pocket and walked on. And she said to herself and then also to her friend in the store, that was not a human being. You're right. Now, what makes this an extraordinary coincidence is I'm working on this new book. You mentioned it, Them. I had just stopped working that for that day 10 minutes before I walked into the store and heard this story about that very type of situation happening to people more and more lately. And literally just a few minutes had passed between the time I was writing about it and the time this happened. 
Now, I consider that quite a coincidence, and I think it's a meaningful coincidence. But what does it mean? That's the question. Uh, does it mean that this is an important part of the book? Well, I would think so. Uh, but how did it work? Bernard, I, I think your work is so wonderful because that's exactly what you explore. Yes. And what does it mean? And you start first with how it felt to you emotionally. No, right. And yeah, it felt, how did it feel to you, to you emotionally, Whitley? Surprising. What? Uh, surprising. Surprising. Uh, now, the idea that the person was holding a phone with a human fetus as the as the homepage was definitely creepy. Because when you get into the close encounter experience, it's a lot of it is about disappearing pregnancies and stuff like that. So that significantly creeped me out. And it correlated, um, and it correlated. It may creep you out, but it correlated with what you are so involved with. Absolutely, it did. It did correlate with what I was involved with, and in a, in in one way, it suggested to me that perhaps I'm right to to be concerned about this business because do we really want this strange presence to be penetrating into? our lives that in such a way that it affects our our sexuality and our 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 procreation i i you know i really don't know you really don't know here you are since 1980 and well before having had many close encounters of the third kind yeah well, I don't, I don't, I will say, let me be very clear here. I don't want these sexual encounters to, to involve us being exploited in some way, especially not in the, in the context of children being born in, in, in situations that we are not in control of. No. And you do have personal evidence that that happens. No, I wouldn't say I have personal evidence that that happens. I have personal evidence that there are some very strange people around here. Yes, <laughs> but, but we've all got evidence. I got plenty like of that. that too. Yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah, as a psychiatrist, you certainly must. But now we're uh, going. We're going past that strangeness of psychiatry. We're going to the black eyes that you saw in the bookstore in Manhattan. We're well, I going... didn't see those. Yeah, but go ahead. Isn't that what you said? You saw the black eyes? No, no. Uh, an uh, editor from the William Company saw, saw the it. black. I saw them before in 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 the context of the abduction that happened to me in in uh, December of 1985. Yes. So what you're asking, I think, is what does it mean to humanity to have these entities that visit you and many many other people that you know and hear about? What does it mean to have them among us? You're asking that question. In a sense, but in this context of this show, the question becomes, why are there so many coincidences connected with the experience? Because I live in an ocean of coincidences. Yes. They're, they're connected with this. They never stop. And is it that you're seeing something, something of the weave of the universe under the surface when you're engaging in these things or not I, I don't know well let's 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 take the picture of you in the center of a web which in a way we all probably are indra's net is a very good metaphor but you're a jewel in a web somehow that's whitley streber's mind is in this web of visitors you think about it you've been with it, you've experienced it, people tell you stories. So there's something about your mind that's focused on this particular subject that also attracts people or non-people or like people and stories that are the ones that you are experiencing and know about and write about. Yes. I experience lots of coincidences myself of a variety of kinds so that what you describe about writing something and then it happens in your in the store that you're visiting happens to me pretty regularly where i'm reading something that i'm writing about i read i'm reading a novel and there it is 
like simulpathy is one of my ideas of feeling the pain of a loved one at a distance. And there I am reading a novel where it's a variation on simulpathy. The same day I'm thinking about writing a Psychology Today post on that subject. There's something about our minds that are connected to the content that we're most interested in and reflects, I think, for both of us, that our minds are not as separate from our environment as we are being told. You think about close encounters, you are deeply immersed in understanding them, and they are part of your mind, both internal and external. Now, this idea of the mind external yes. is completely denied by the vast, a vast cross-section of Western society. Yeah. Uh, completely. And those who don't, even those who don't deny it, don't live as if it's real because they live as if they are isolated inside themselves. Yes. But these coincidences are telling us something different, I think. They are. I wonder what the mechanism is or what the there's an energy of some kind that we're tapped into, perhaps that we don't we don't acknowledge. Well, before we try to get into how it happens, it's so important uh, scientifically to say that it happens and to hear your mind and actually visualize it as you're describing it in this web of visitors in various ways reflects what I'm doing. So our minds are parallel in the what's we're studying, that we see what's outside, inside, and what's inside, we see outside. Once we establish that, that's a fundamentally important lesson of coincidences, that, there, that the mind external and the mind internal are very much connected with each other. That's first. I have some ideas about how that might work, but first to establish it, what's the significance of that mind external to you? I think it's more significant to me than the mind internal. I, it's where I live, really, and uh, where I get I get information. I, I I have a meditation practice that involves meditating at um, a, in the wee hours of the morning every night, uh, which is a, a, a period of time called in some yoga traditions of Brahma Muhurta time, which is the time of learning. Of, and uh, I'm, when I meditate during that time, I uh, get information that usually I use in my work, in my books. Every book I've written from Afterlife Revolution on has worked this way. And coincidence is absolutely integral to the whole thing in the sense that if I need something, some information, it will fall into my hands if I just let it every time. And this is why the research in, like, for example, Jesus and New Vision runs so deep because I, I can do this and I, I can, it's not that it's not coming in. To like a download, as they call them, but rather what ha will happen will be, uh, I'll think about something I need, some information that I need, or some question I need asked, answered, and the next thing I know, a day or so later, that literally falls into my hands. Could you give us an example about uh, how that, uh, how that has happened with you? Sure. Uh, when I was starting to think, I'll give you an example from that book about... Which book? I'm sorry. Uh, Jesus and New Vision. Okay. okay. This is, a, <clears throat> among other things, it's a retelling of the story of Jesus's life. And part of it has to do with his childhood, which is completely unknown. And I thought to myself, is it completely unknown or not? I, I couldn't find a thing about it anywhere, not even any speculation. And 
Then suddenly, I found myself looking at a, an apocryphal gospel called the uh, Infancy Gospel of Jesus, which I hadn't even known existed before. It showed up without any significant. I mean, I, I was. I, I. It showed up on Google. The the, and I had been looking for Jesus' childhood and hadn't seen anything. And then suddenly, when I wasn't looking for Jesus' childhood, here was this infancy gospel of Jesus, and I read it, and it was fairly absurd, you know, you know, talking about all these miracles and kids getting pushed off of roofs and all sorts of bizarre things. And I thought to myself, well, I can real, well understand why this isn't in the canon, because it looks like a fantasy. But then... I thought to myself, wait a minute. If you strip away all of the fantastic parts of this, then it's not a fantasy at all. These are family stories about a very unusual child and a very brilliant child. That's what this is. That's where it started. Someone knew Jesus's family stories and embellished them with all kinds of miracles to make him look like a god. You strip away the, all of that stuff, and what you have is the most complete depiction of a childhood anywhere in literature from then up until the 19th century. Wow. Wow. And you have this marvelous document. And it would never have come to me without the coincidence and of, of happening to find it when I did, without knowing how I did it. And the insight that came from the 3 a.m. meditation that enabled me to think about just stripping away all of the fiction and leaving only the raw story of this little boy very brilliant, very easily angered because he was so brilliant in a world that was very dim indeed. And uh, there you have it. And so I was able to produce in my book the only description of the child of Jesus as a child that exists anywhere in the world. The, well, the research project I've been involved with uh, shows that needing information uh that you needing information shows up in various ways media overhearing other people talking uh books newspapers it shows up when you need it and what you added was being in the right place at the right time that you were there on the on the google to be able to find it but you didn't know how you got there and that i call human gps or internal gps so exactly. what you're just what, what you're describing are, are, are basic common coincidence patterns here, but, but they're not in the hands of an ordinary human being. They're in, <laughs> well, maybe not. Excuse me, you're not an ordinary human being, Whitley, because of the way I feel in my heart about you and the fact that you look like my best friend from high school make you at least non-ordinary to me. Oh, well, good. I hope you, I hope you're, you considered your best friend from high school not too funny looking. Uh, he's a great looking guy. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, and I had to, I just was figuring out I was, I was, I was, I was watching you. So you have been able to take what are standard coincidence patterns and take your information at 3 a.m. where you learn, where you were, where you were somehow instructed or advised or however you want to say it, to strip away the fantasy to find what was real there. You needed to get that information too, to make yes. this thing happen. So you have a particular way of, let me say, uh, augmenting your coincidences the, with your 3 a.m. study habits. Um, right, making use of them, I would think. Making use of them, yes. That, yeah. Now that's, that's a, that is a wonderful new idea for me in, in a way, is to be able to be constructively seeking through a standard 
pattern that you use uh, that to find out new information, how to use a coincidence that you experience. And that's what you were able to do at, in, in the middle of the night. You know, I met a, a comedian, a very famous man called Bob Hope many years ago. <laughs> oh, come on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He was uh, interest, very interested in UFOs. Oh, he was. He was. His, if you look at his house out in Palm Springs and here in California, it looks like a big UFO. And but it was a private interest. He it wasn't a he didn't make a big deal of it publicly. But he did. Uh, I ended up seeing him at, and having a spending an hour or so with him out there at one point. It must have been fun. It was really fun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was because uh, I considered him quite a wonderful man. And I said to him, "How did you do this? I mean, how did you become Bob Hope? You're one of the most." famous people in the world and you've done it just a literally a world of good and he said oh you know the truth i just let it happen and i thought to myself letting it happen being present to the opportunities that are offered you it's such a good lesson it is because he basically when the door opened he walked through it and he became this extraordinary presence in the uh, in the 20th century, and also told a few pretty good jokes. Sure did. Yeah. And how how does that letting it happen apply to you and your work, Whitley? I'm still working on it because I have a tendency to go for it rather than let it happen. I, and I, and you have to you have to put yourself. You can't sit in a room all by yourself, which is something I love to do, uh, and also let it happen. Because you won't be, you don't come into contact with the world, then nothing's going to happen for you. That's a fundamental coincidence principle that you yeah, have exactly. to be out there running around to make, to so you get various stimuli coming into you, especially if you're running around in a fairly unstructured environment. You increase the likelihood of meeting your mind outside of yourself. Yeah, precisely, precisely. And I've been doing much more traveling in, in, in part for that reason. And yeah, I want to go. I haven't traveled much in my life. I've traveled a lot, but not to places like Egypt or Greece or Turkey or any of those wonderful places with so many, so much magic in them. Uh, I'm mostly travel to you know on author tour and so forth and things like that and you don't tend to be you know you don't tend to be sort of exposed to uh the possibility of meaningful coincidences so much right well, that's not always true of course it's not always true sometimes within the structure there's a lot of potential movement as you do at 3 a.m each day yeah, but structure generally inhibits the coincidence possibility. That's so. That's not only is uh, do I agree with you. That's also wise advice and a good thing for me to hear for anyone to hear, uh, because it's really true. You have to be kind of open ended in order to let this the coincidence ha happened like bob hope said i just let it happen you know well, i i heard that oprah winfrey's husband says he can't let it happen he's really got to take over his life and my reaction was when you're married to her you got to take some control too yeah. there, there is there is an illusion of one or the other of polarities uh and in order to be writing a book as you have done many times and are doing still, you can't help it. I know how that feels. You just yeah. got to do it. Uh, that you've got to be able to go but on the sine wave of like letting it happen and then structuring and letting it happen and right. structuring. A sine wave is a fundamental element of the way the universe works. Uh, spirals and energy patterns. Those are all a normal curves to some degree. And that's what we have here is the being able to smoothly go between the polarities of letting it happen. Oh, man. OK, going for it like on the dance floor and then 
grabbing what you've learned and being able to put it down on paper. The, um, the being open in that way, even while you're working, is terribly important. Very important. Uh, very important because you have to, and you have to also, in my experience, you have to be willing to 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 take curveballs uh, that are thrown at you. Give us and a curve. I, give us a curveball. Uh, okay. Let me see. All right. And I I was working on them just recently. And it involves two parts. Basically, the the theme of the book is to an attempt to build a picture of the personality, policies, and objectives of whatever this presence is that is here. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, I always like to start, I don't, I start a book, when I start a book, I always like to start with something that seems to be impossible. Otherwise, why do it? <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, why, if you're not going to advance anything, what's the point? <laughs> so <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, I like to hear that because I got some less crazy ideas, maybe, or more, I don't know, that we are all part of a mental atmosphere is what I am trying to be able to say. Mind and environment is a way of talking about that. We share a mind with our environment. We share a mind with nature and each other. And let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, and let's do something with it. I think, you know, I think that's a very important idea to have in your head because it's not an idea so much as it is a recognition and if you if you live with this recognition in your head, you're going to get a an awful, awfully much a much richer life in terms of, for example, things like doing research. Uh, but but anyway, uh, curveball was, time, curveball time. Yeah, I, I the second part, the first part of them is an analysis of ten close encounter experiences that we received in. Uh, when after communion was written, we, we received thousands and thousands of letters of people describing things that had happened to them. And those are, by the way, all now archived at Rice University in Texas. But um, good old Jeff. Yeah, good old Jeff Kreivel. He's the one boy. He's the, his new book, Super Humanities, by the way, is a work of genius. It's absolutely fabulous. In any case, um, the um, uh, uh, second part of it is about the military experience, which is a very important aspect of it. And it's quite hidden for two reasons. The, the first reason is that they, they operate according to the principle of pencils up. When they're working on stuff like this, they don't keep notes. So from generation to generation, the latest generation loses what the last generation knew and they they kind of tread water that way and if you don't understand that then you can't really work on it because you're gonna i i recently saw a uh uh, uh a uh, 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 uh an interview with one of these people i believe it was with lou elizondo and the interviewer obviously thought that he would have all of the secret knowledge dating back for years. And he doesn't have any of it because it's not written down. None of it exists. So uh, the curveball was I wanted to talk to one of the military people who I discuss in the book about a certain meeting. And he said, well, I disagree with you entirely. It never happened. But it did happen. And I can prove that it happened. But that was a curveball. Because I didn't expect him to say that. I, it's, not, um, it's not a secret anymore. It's obviously out there, but he's just so used to keeping it secret. Or maybe he's even obligated to say that under, under the law. I don't know even though it's right out there in public. So 
now I have this to deal with. One of the principal participants in the meeting claims it never happened. <laughs> That's a curveball. That's a curveball, but um, you're still standing in the batter's box, uh, and there's another pitch coming. So what? Do, what, right. are gonna, what are you going to? How, how are you going to manage that one? Well, I'm going to try to avoid making the next pitch a beanball. That's what I'm going to do. That's a good one. No, I'm just going to state that I'm not going to use his name, and I'm just going to state that some of the participants in the meeting uh, uh, are still maintaining that it didn't happen. But well, can, I think it's clear that it did. Can you access what's known as the Akashic Record? You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, I've wondered about whether or not things like that even exist. I'm too sort of innately, I mean, of all people to say they're innately skeptical, <laughs> it's just, I know it's ridiculous, but in fact, I am innately skeptical. And I, I, I wouldn't say I understood what that was. But I will say this, that the people who did claim to access it, uh, fluently like edgar casey said a lot of things that were totally wrong so i don't know what to make of it i i don't know whether it's the akashic record or the akashic imagination <laughs> well i i'm too i'm skeptical also i got to be able to see it so i mean i asked that because i thought you might be able to access information about that meeting uh through other means well, that would be true, but that's also part of the story we're not going to tell right now. I, I, I can tell you another story uh, about writing a, a book called In Hitler's House. In Hitler's was, House? In Hitler's House. It was a spy novel that I wanted to write, and I started it in um, 2015, a few months after Annie passed away because I wanted to get my mind into another world. And it involved, the novel is written as a faux memoir. In other words, it's, 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 being, it's a memoir written in the 1970s by a man, a young German-American man who fell in with Hitler on a trip to Germany in 1931 realized how dangerous he was as he became a close friend of Hitler's and ended up spying on Hitler from the inside throughout the entire war uh, and uh, uh, as a basically as a loyal human being, loyal to his humanity and to the United States and Western freedom and so forth. But it had to be, if you're going to write a faux memoir, you have to, it has to have the taste of the times. It has to be written as if uh, this was a person who casually knew the, the, what kind of gum people chewed, chewed uh, the brand names of collars that they used to, or, uh, collars that they used to use, how the gasoline smelled in those days. He had to have all of that there. And this whole business of coincidence just worked overtime. It was like the book was practiced for the rest of my life because what would happen would be, for example, uh, he was intimate with Hitler in the sense that, you know, they would go to Hitler's country house together before uh, Hitler became the, the chancellor and after too, but uh they they would sort of hang out together and what what does that mean he would know things like what kind of uh toothpaste hitler used now how would i find that out because i didn't want to make it up i wanted it to be from the source and lo and behold one day i found that my google had turned to german when i was typing in things like Hitler toothpaste and not expecting much of an answer. And I thought, okay, I don't speak German. So I translated it back and it turned out that there was a, a book written, a little book written by one of Hitler's valets. And apparently it was in this book, but the book's never been translated into English. It was in German. 
So I went on the German Amazon and bought it and it came and it was in German. And I went to a dinner the night it came with some friends. And I mentioned that I was working on this and that I had this book by Hitler's valet. And I said, and unfortunately it's in German. I can't read a word of it. And one of the guests piped up with, oh, I'm fluent in German. Give it to me. I'll tell you everything. I'll, I'll translate it for you. So there you have it. And I found out what kind of toothpaste Hitler used. I also found out his breath was so bad, he brushed his teeth six times a day. <laughs> and that's, that's a combination of, you know, the way this weave kind of works. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, it's 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 really it's it's riding a roller coaster. I think it's like uh, it's it's yeah. a fun it's a fun ride, and I'm getting a much clearer idea about how your mind is like an information vacuum, uh, looking looking for particular pieces of stuff out there, and you have yeah. you have it in mind, and then it shows up in various ways. Again, that's exactly a, right, and that's a fundamentally common coincidence pattern. But you are take you take it to one of the furthest extremes that I've had the pleasure of hearing someone describe. Interesting, I did not realize that. Yeah, it's just that you're you've got that on steroids. That uh, that information I needed, it shows up kind of thing in, in funny ways and in interesting ways, and it's pleasurable to do that. I was looking for a way to explain internal GPS uh, with the brain, or at least partly. And I was flipping around and got to the New York Times front page somehow. And there was an answer about the hippocampus and the CA3 area in the hippocampus that helps know where we are in space, at least rats and probably human beings too. So it's really fun to have answers to your questions come up. But it's a, the fundamental for me is it shows how closely your mind is connected to your environment and how responsive it is. It brings us back to your question about the personnel and policies of our visitors. Are, are they here to help us or are they here to do something else? And what you're describing that you're able to do with coincidences is be helped by these events that come together when you need them, but you're not so sure about the visitors. And let me give you an example of a visitor that I'm, I love the, I love the, um, the, the X-Men, the Marvel comic, Marvel comic series. It, I, I, I like some Marvel things, but I love the X-Men. I'm reading the first class now, the, the prequel to what happened with Professor X, how he got to be Professor X. And these mutants, have funny eyes they don't necessarily have black eyes but they have funny eyes and they begin to resemble like some of the things you're describing there's something weird about them but they look like other people and these are the strangers among us these are the them and in in a way i'm more like them i'm a kind of a mutant myself in being able to understand and use coincidences and so are you it's more subtle but you are a high, high frequency coincider, Whitley. You are. I couldn't work without it. It's it's the it's the core of my work process. The core of your work process. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I don't know if you've read Jeff Kripal's uh, work on the X Men. He's I... really interested. He's got some fascinating things to say about the X Men. You should definitely. Uh, pick up his book mutants and mystics i i had it somewhere and read it i loved it uh yeah it's, it, a, it's a good but, book and i i had x-men number one for a long time and i sold it so i sold it because i, I needed the money but, you needed uh, the money well that's a good reason yeah. to sell it yeah, i bought it for like six hundred dollars and sold it for quite a bit more than that well, there's something special about the X-Men that's separate from like the Green Lantern and the other characters, because each person has a talent and they come together to try to do something good. And that's where I'm looking. That's where I'm looking. You are part of a quiet group that is trying to use coincidences to further humanity in some way or other. And so yeah. am I. Because and, the universe is willing to help. 
Yes. Whatever's out there, the consciousness external to the body is just definitely willing to step up if you wanted to. If you wanted to, if you're open to it, if yeah. you let it come into you by putting yourself in the right position to ask for it and be ready for it. So there's this openness and act activity that allows the process to happen and the belief in it. And for you, it's more than belief. It's a need. It's essential because, you know, I want to work. I have work to do. And <laughs> um, my writing is my life. You know, I have to. And this is what I do. I'm thinking about my next book already and trying to figure out. I have an idea and it seems to me to be completely impossible to write. Which is probably which is good. Why, yeah, which is exactly <laughs> why you want to do it. Why I want to do it exactly. Well, when when I was in medical school, I had this idea that I wanted to use moving through the world, my moving through the world, as a pen to write a story about something. I didn't know what it was, and that's what I'm doing now. The coincidences helped me write the story of coincidences. That's how I got to this. You are. You are a pen in the hands of something that it has something to do with you that is yeah. is writing stories through you. By you, you that is definitely how it feels. And, you know, I think that one of the most important things is something that we overlook completely, which is attention. You have to have a very strong, orderly, and functional attention not an attention that just goes wherever the next thing is you know in other words our attentions mostly just go out 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 to whatever is happening around us but if you maintain an an orderly attention and you retain some of it while you're living in the flow of the world and you you are watching yourself function this is the part of your attention has to watch yourself in function. Yes. And then is when that part picks up all the coincidences. That's that's the vacuum cleaner you were talking about. It will pick up that stuff. You'll notice then. You are so right. And it, I hope maybe you write about your coincidences one of these days, just to step back. I call this observer of you in action the self-observer yep that's exactly what it is precisely and the self-observer is doing just what you so beautifully described is watching seeing things and remembering some of it you can't remember all of it and but i think you have a coincidence sensitivity button in your head that gets pushed by certain connections between what's in your mind and what's out there it goes bong and says whitley remember this one and you pack it away somewhere in your mind in your brain wherever they, wherever that goes you know there's an interesting book by a man named julian james called the origins of consciousness and the breakdown of the bicameral mind uh, not the most scintillating title ever, ever conceived but the idea is that there was a time when we didn't really have minds like we do now, that all we had was the part that lived, as we're discussing, by coincidence and inference. And only later, when we began to assemble a lot of information, that what he calls consciousness, and I would say what was better called intellect, began to evolve. And and it's a really interesting thing because you have to you have to if you it it was he was right I'm pretty sure and if you realize that you can live in a different way where you balance this uh, bicameralism with intellect you use both your mind is much more powerful than it would otherwise be. Just what I was watching a video about yesterday. You're kidding. Tell no. me about the video. I'm fascinated. The video was the, the there's there's 
there's part one of the mind or part two or have that one and two something or other and one is the intuitive one as he called it then uh and the other is the rational one and being able to use the rational mind to hone the intuitive mind that is full of creativity but sometimes wrong so you test out your intuition with your rationality it's being an internal scientist yeah. and seeing if what your intuition came up with fits with what you need at that moment or fits what with with reality seems to be that honing of intuition is a central part of being able to use coincidences effectively you know that gets me back to the akashic record in edgar case or i think it's casey is the casey, casey 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 jones um and he trusted his intuition too much in other words he didn't he didn't compare it he didn't use his reason at all he just he just made the intuitive leaps and wrote this vast amount of material some of which is extraordinary much of which is wrong and uh this is true of again and again when you read psychic mediums and channeled material there's not much that isn't like that and uh, some of it is all wrong of course <laughs> and, but none of it is all completely right and you know i'm, I'm talking about and there's also a, a tendency to see the future darkly that uh is is endemic in the whole process i'll give you an example and i'm hoping i'll remember the name of the book which i may or may not happen i'm not i'm not sure because it's coming this is coming to me um there is a discovery that's been made by doctors uh, gary nolan and christopher green who work on intuitives and brains and the brain and they have discovered that there that there's a in the executive function of the brain they, where there are the caudate and the putamen there's white matter between them that links them and people who are psychically sensitive or highly intuitive or can do things like remote viewing have very dense linkages between the two abnormally dense linkages and uh this idea appears in channeled material in a book that was written in 1963 and which is absolutely remarkable it's yeah, the idea it, of the connection between the putamen and and the and the caudate and, exactly in channeled material and you'd think oh my god this must be one of the most powerful psychics that ever existed i got the book and it's a total mishmash of failed prophecies except for that so he got one <laughs> element of it right and the rest of it not and the rest of it all of this whole lifetime of prophecies wrong and i'm gonna while we're talking i'm going to sneak into ebay and see if i can remember help because i i want the viewers and listeners to know the title of this book and so, as you're as you're sneaking around, I'm going to mention Edgar Edgar Casey because uh, his institute is in um, in Virginia Beach, not far from where I live, and I've always had a suspicion about something that was, didn't seem right about Edgar Casey and all the people who thought that he anything he said was wonderful, and now you're clarifying what my theme for the last two days is is sharpening intuition with rationality from yeah. you and for what i got yesterday and that's what you call your skeptic it's not a skeptic really it's somebody who wants to test out ideas not just accept them because they came through an intuitive channel right right um uh, <clears throat> uh, And we have that 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 precise thing that you have to you have to open the intuitive channel and be sure it's there and be sure it's open by using your attention in the way I described earlier. But then you have to 
kind of take it with a grain of salt, don't you? Because yes. if you're not, if you trust it too much, it's gonna, it's gonna, um, it's definitely going to throw you off. You. You're going to be wrong. And, yeah. and what I'm going want to go back to is your mind in a web and my mind in a different but parallel web. And your question about how does it work? And a good science starts with good description. And that's why I'm not trying to make too many guesses about how it works, except that our mind and our environment are much more connected than we know. And then to be right. able to see how that web functions by looking at the coincidences, you are a wonderful example of a high, high frequency coincider that you live these things because that's what you need. You need coincidences to be able to do the work that you do. So you become, <laughs> we take you into a spaceship, we examine your mind. <laughs> well, this spaceship will be right here between you and me. But that's what I'm doing is listening to how you think and how you experience, because you are a paradigmatic example of what I study. And I think that's fun. Well, that's interesting. By the way, I did find the book. Go it's ahead. Through the Curtain by Viola Pettit Neal. And I wouldn't, you know, it's not in, not available for pub, in public published form anymore. It's long since out of print, but that was the name of the book. Anyway, I wouldn't well, recommend getting it because you're not going to find anything much in it except that one thing. What we found was what you found, which was very, very important in all this. Let me, let me, as we get near the end of this, Whitley, um, talk about the content of intuition what's in there because the the term intuition is used in so many different ways because there's so many different contents coming through i want to focus on what might be called the parapsychological aspects of coincidence of of what's in the intuition uh, and be able to say as i was just thinking this morning that's why i look at what i got here is that there are various channels that come into our intuitive knowing. And we call sometimes them clairvoyance, telepathy. I have the term simulpathity. Uh, you were you were like seeing here with when I was talking to you on your podcast, you saw a, a bug floating around here that reminded you of your your deceased wife who, who has this moth, moth, yeah. the white moth thing. Uh, yeah. that, that, those are, those are, those are forms of communication from our intuition, uh, right. as well as clear audition. So I was just thinking today is like, why do we have to break it all up there? Just like we have five senses, uh, in this kind of rational world of ours, we also have at least five senses for our intuition and there are various channels through which information comes to us. What do you think of that? What I think of that is two things. First, it sounds like it has a ring of truth to it. And second, I think understanding it could be a very powerful tool in honing it and making yes. it work for you. Yes, yes, yes. And that, that's, st that starts yeah. with defining it or describing it as well as we can. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because once we once we have it descri described in such a way that, you know, intuition is like a kind of a conceptual breeze blowing. It's very fragile. And if you look, if you if you look at it too hard, you're going to you're you're going to it's going to go into your imagination immediately. But if you kind of look at it kind of out of the corner of your <laughs> eye, then you're going to get something out of it. Well, I've gotten a lot out of this one, Whitley, uh, talking with you. Uh, I really well, thanks. have. I have, too. It's been very enjoyable. It's <laughs> parallel, parallel, parallel. I very enjoyable yeah. talking with you. I like that I can talk with you with my heart and my mind I, yeah. on the Zoom. I, I just like that. It just feels. Me, too. Me, too. It's very enjoyable. I really enjoyed talking with you. I had a lot of fun on my on my show, too, on Dreamland. We had a blast. We did. Yeah, we did. We had we had a good, good time. So I will take this time to say au revoir. And uh, we got to meet again somewhere, Whitley. It's just too much fun. And I don't know how to do that, but we'll we will. We'll figure It'll out. Happen. 
we'll figure out something. It's just, just too much fun. And more than the fun of it, I call fun is the fun is when you're doing something that's play and you're learning at the same time. Fun right. is, is learning and playing. And that's real what, work is play. Real work is play. So work is play and learning and doing. And we had, we played, we worked, we'll do it again. Thank and you very much. Both of us are going to get a rich reward from this show. Our coincidence meters are going to be flying back and forth all day. I, you're right. Yep. You're right. Thank you. And thank you. This psychosphere is a mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.